Raise your hand if, gover if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. During the first Democratic presidential debate, 10 candidates were asked if their health care proposal would cover undocumented immigrants, and all of them raised their hands, which got us thinking about California. You see, back in 2016, California began offering health care to undocumented immigrants. It provided medical services to children as old as 18 years, and this year, the state expanded its version of Medicaid to undocumented young adults between the ages of 19 and 25 provided they fall within 138% of the federal poverty line. California is now the first state in the country to offer comprehensive, government-funded health care to undocumented adults. On today's show, I sit down with my colleague Sophia Bolag to take a look at an issue where California is driving the national discussion. I'm Brian Anderson. You're listening to California Nation. We are not going to have a circus here. But we just left pleasure for paradise. Can you please hug me? <laughs> Do not worry, Dutch is not here today. We, we clearly learned our lesson. These are not ordinary times. And this will not be an ordinary election. You're listening to California Nation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. We're joined now by my colleague, Sophia Bolag, to look into what California is doing on this issue. Sophia, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So, Sophia, California has been leading the way on the issue of undocumented kids getting health insurance, but now they're adding undocumented adults under the new budget. Can you tell me what's already happened and what's going to happen? Yeah, so since 2016, undocumented children under age 19 were already eligible for the state's Medi-Cal program. Now, under this new budget, undocumented young adults under age 26 can also now apply. So the difference is now, if you're 19 to 25 and undocumented, you can get on the state's version of the federal Medicaid program. Yes, exactly. And the Medi-Cal program, which as you said, is the state's version of Medicaid. It's just for low-income residents, so you do have to meet the income requirements, but provided that you do, if you're an undocumented young adult, you can now sign up for government-funded insurance in California. So we're not talking all undocumented people. We're just talking about people who meet a low-income threshold. Exactly. And what's that income threshold? Essentially, for an individual person, uh, you would have to make less than about $17,000 a year. If you're a family of four, it's less than about $35,000 a year. And that's the federal poverty line, roughly? It's 138% of the federal poverty level. So what's the main argument that you're hearing against this proposal that, in this year's budget, expands this program by an extra $98 million? The argument that I've been hearing largely from Republicans and conservatives is that the, the state's health insurance programs are already very expensive for Californians who are here illegally or who are citizens. 
And so the arguments I've heard against this expansion are that essentially the state should work on improving what it already has as opposed to expanding it to new people. And Governor Gavin Newsom held a press conference about this issue a while ago. Why is he in favor of this? The governor really supports the idea of expanding health coverage in general. He says he supports ultimately a some type of Medicare for all type of system. Uh, he has often spoken about how he supports universal health coverage and to him that includes even people who are not here illegally. We're proud also in the spirit of what was just said, that we're providing health care for everyone, regardless of immigration status. If you believe in universal health care, you believe in universal health care. We have sick care for everybody. We believe in health care. Uh, and we have made another incremental step towards that vision, getting it to everybody up to the age of 26, regardless of immigration status. We are on a journey to get to 100%. This was the second phase of that journey. Again, no one else in America does that. You'll continue to hear me say that. It's a point of pride and a point of privilege. I know it's a new program where this went into effect in 2016 for those undocumented kids who met the income thresholds from zero to 18 years old. What have we learned in those last couple of years that maybe some of these presidential candidates can learn from as they're talking about this going forward? So in my reporting on this, I found that the state is not necessarily tracking the program super closely. Uh, what I've been told is that officials believe that most, if not almost all, undocumented children are signed up for the Medi-Cal program now, at least those who are eligible. But in general, Medi-Cal in California does not have very high utilization rates among children. So there are a lot of children who are either eligible for Medi-Cal or even signed up for Medi-Cal who aren't getting all the health care that they're entitled to in terms of uh, regular checkups and screenings. So what's the challenge with implementing? Is it just making sure that you're getting the word out to these people who could be eligible for this but maybe aren't familiar with it? Yeah, I know that the, the Newsom administration has been talking about sort of finding the best way to reach out to people who are eligible and educate them about what they're now entitled to. Back in 2016, when the state expanded Medi-Cal eligibility to undocumented children, they had a similar effort where they tried to educate families about what their kids were now uh, able to receive. And we started the show with this, where you see 10 Democratic presidential candidates raising their hand at the first debate, saying they would support in their health care plans to provide insurance for undocumented children. What is the biggest challenge to getting there nationally? Well, essentially, the rest of the country just isn't as liberal as California. And so this... Are you saying Washington, D.C. is divided? Exactly. <laughs> Essentially, uh, in California, there is broad support for expanding health care to undocumented people that is not necessarily reflected um, in the country at large, and it certainly varies from state to state how much support that proposal has. Sophia, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me.
This is California Nation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. On this part of the show, we typically bring in a new guest, but today we're re-airing a portion of an earlier show from last fall. Back in 2018, I sat down with billionaire liberal activist Tom Steyer to talk about his advocacy group calling for President Trump's impeachment. He recently announced his bid for president, so we thought we'd share that conversation with you in light of the news. Please stay tuned afterwards for our favorite segment, Buzz of the Week, this time on California's bid to get Trump's tax returns. But right now, here's our conversation from last year's interview with Tom Steyer. So back in our conversation, you said it is the top issue because it touches on every single other thing. And I had brought up PPIC asks voters, Public Policy of Institute of California asks voters, what's the most important issue? And they'll say, oh, jobs, immigration, the economy. Healthcare. Healthcare, you name it. There's a list of about 15 and different things. Not on it. And impeachment's not on it. How do you explain that? Well, I think that if, if you were to ask people today, what's the number one issue? Look, we've asked hundreds of thousands of young people that question. Hundreds of thousands. And, if, if, and when you listen to them, now these are college students by and large. So they come back with cost of college, healthcare, racial justice, climate, and environment. Fifth is probably gun violence. And the White House's actions touch on every single issue there. Absolutely. So why focus on impeaching Trump and not focus on health care or college affordability? Not saying you're, you're not walking and chewing gum and also touching so on those depends. other issues. When you say that, it depends in what context. If you ask, why are we running an impeachment petition? Sure. That's a different question because in terms of our other uh, activities, we do talk about every one of those other issues. In terms of the impeachment petition, what we're trying to do is stand up for the democracy and protect it, the safety and health of every American. And so if you, you know, we have six million people, it's actually probably six million, 40,000 people who've signed our petition. Out of a population of 320 million though. Correct. Four million of those people normally don't vote in midterms. We have four million people who are in contact with every day. We're going to send out over a million and a half handwritten letters to them asking them to vote from other people on the, on the list. Sure. If we can, that's almost 10,000 people who normally don't vote, who've actually signed a petition to impeach the president per congressional district. Do you worry that the, the kind of the impeach Trump effort could backfire and mobilize Republicans who say, hey, keep Trump in office. The Democrats, they're a mob. They're coming after us. We need to protect you our know, president. You know, it's funny. It's funny. That's been sort of a, a meme for people uh, to worry about. But actually, if you, if you examine it even superficially, you'll see how stupid it is. And let me give you an example. I think somebody looked at 5,000 Republican commercials. Wasn't mentioned. If this is such a big deal for Republicans, if this is really how they're going to mobilize, I think it might be in one of 5,000 commercials on the air. So I think that that was always something that was sort of a boogeyman that people dreamed up. I don't even know why. Next, that 2020 is after the midterms and that midterms are the focus right now. What are the qualities you would look for in a 2020 presidential candidate? Because I know if I ask you, I'm not going to get an answer. So what would be the qualities of a 2020 president you would like to see? Positive vision for America. Are there any people in the Democratic Party you see that could bring that positive vision? Any names you could give? <laughs> I think it's too soon. 
you know, my, my attitude on all this is, this is all about November 6, 2018 right now. It, let's, see, let's see what really happens. Let's see if what I think is going to happen is going to happen. And if it does, then the question is going to be, how are we going to build on that for exactly what I'm saying, which is to create the positive society we were set up to be that we've been for almost all of our history instead of what we are now, which is dysfunctional and led by a very corrupt group of you know, self-interested and people who represent a tiny shred of American society. One of the final questions I had was just the growing concern about hyper-partisanship in this country and growing divisions and rifts. Do you see need to impeach or next gen as contributing to this divisiveness that we're seeing in the country? So I think everybody in America, including me for sure, is dismayed that our normal system of compromise, maybe, I, I like to say, we're a loud and vulgar people. We scream a lot. We you yell a like lot. You seem like a quiet, shy, reserved man, though, I Mr. Really, Steyer. I really am, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> we scream a lot. We yell a lot. We're really practical. We're very idealistic. We, we make a compromise. We solve problems, and we move on, and it's not happening. Washington is totally dysfunctional. And it is, there is hyper-partisanship. And I think that people in the press love to say, oh, there's hyper-partisanship on both sides. But let's talk about, for instance, climate for a second. There's one side that literally will not accept scientists' expertise on science. So there's nothing to discuss. I don't mean to equate both parties as and equal. And that's my point, is but, you can't. But it is fair to say many people on both sides are contributing to it. I, and, I, and let me respectfully disagree. There's something that has happened in American society that we've never seen before, which is a, a political party, the Republicans, have decided not to represent all of the American people. As far as the Democratic approach to what we're seeing nationally, Michelle Obama's approach, when they go low, we go high. Eric Holder said, when they go low, we kick them. He added a lot more context to it than that. But what do you think should be the Democratic approach? The truth. That's all we're talking about. If you listen to what Mr. Trump had to say about um, Dr. Blasey Ford. He said, I don't care if she was telling the truth. He's like, really? Because that's what was at issue, my friend. You decided that it didn't matter what the truth was on a very important question. Well, they don't care what the truth is on any of this stuff. And so the, the question reach, is why do you... How do you reach people who dismiss the truth then? Or, we, do you, or no, are they just unreachable and you can't we reach them? You asked me what our strategy was, and our strategy is to tell the truth. Period. Straightforwardly, not scared to tell it, not shying away from it, telling the truth seems to be a novel strategy in Washington, D.C. Mr. Steyer, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. <laughs>You know what that sound means. That's right. It's time for our favorite part of the show, Buzz of the Week, where I share something I can't get off my mind. And what I can't stop thinking about is an all but certain legal clash between President Donald Trump and California. Lawmakers recently passed a bill to require all presidential and gubernatorial candidates to release the last five years of their tax returns in order to make it onto the state's primary ballot. That would mean Trump wouldn't appear on the March 3rd, 2020 primary ballot in California if he doesn't disclose his tax information. 
a Trump campaign spokesman, told me recently that Trump would consider this law unconstitutional, arguing that the Constitution establishes a firm set of eligibility requirements related to age and citizenship. Former California Governor Jerry Brown vetoed a similar proposal in 2017, saying it could set a slippery slope precedent. Meanwhile, Democratic lawmakers in California believe the state has administrative jurisdiction over its ballots. Now, legal experts are torn on whether Senate Bill 27 would prevail in court, but at a recent press conference, Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom said he worked with lawmakers behind the scenes to add gubernatorial candidates onto the bill. He all but guaranteed his support, signaling he'll sign off on it shortly. Take a listen. Are you going to sign Senate Bill 27, which it relates to Trump releasing his tax returns well, to qualify I, I, for I the state's 2020 ballot? Courage thing. I only encourage things. Solicitous of amending it to include the governor. So that's maybe suggestive of an inclination. But I haven't made the determination. But it's suggestive of an inclination. When Newsom signs the bill into law, California will become the first state in the country to link presidential tax returns to a requirement to get on a state ballot. And that is what I can't stop thinking about this week. Now that's all we have for this edition of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. It helps people like you find our show. I'll return to your feed in a couple weeks with a new episode. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. This is California Nation. Uh, Stop. What were you doing? That was three us and five words. Really? Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. All right. You can restart when you're good. The question will be there. Okay. And we can take this as much as you need, but don't Man, worry. I, I thought I was doing well. I just really don't notice that I do it. Okay. I'm going to focus. <laughs>